In a world where the very air we breathe is threatened, we embark on a journey to uncover the hidden truths about air pollution. Welcome to Clean Air Reports Ghana, a program where we discuss Ghana's growing air quality crisis and how it affects every aspect of our life and our planet. I am your host, Winifred Latte. Take a moment to close your eyes and imagine a world where the air we breathe is pure and clean, where every breath rejuvenates our bodies and invigorates our spirits. Sadly, that world is a distant dream for many Ghanaians as we find ourselves grappling with the harsh reality of increasingly polluted air. Air pollution is a silent enemy, lurking in our cities, our communities, and even our homes. It affects us all regardless of age, gender, or social status. In our very first episode, we'll explore the multifaceted aspect of air pollution, from its sources and impact to the innovative solutions and inspiring stories that give us hope for a cleaner future. We would hear from reporters who, like me, are working with collaborative newsroom New Narratives to explore the impact of air pollution in Ghana and the world. We will also hear from experts, government officials, industry leaders, and everyday individuals who have witnessed the devastating effects of pollution firsthand. This is Clean Air Reports Ghana. Let's dive in. It's clear that the unchecked open burning of waste in Ghana has a significant and detrimental impact on our health. The consequences are far-reaching and alarming. My colleague journalist Albert Opongansa of the Ghana News Agency has been reporting on the problem. Welcome to the program, Albert. Thank you, Winifred. Now, Albert, what was the main focus and objective of your article on pollution from open burning? The main focus was to draw attention to the fact that open burning as we do it leisurely in our homes, at landfill sites, and our localities have um, health and economic burden on us. Um, we are Many people are suffering. Some people are dying. Uh, some people are also paying so much money to cure themselves of respiratory diseases because of open burning. Uh, many people don't also know the effect of these activities on, on them and then also their neighbors. In your research, Albert, what are the most common types of materials or substances that are typically burned openly and contribute to pollution? Some type of plastics, dried leaves, pieces of papers, um, and we have other domestic waste materials that uh, is burnt just right in front of their houses or at the back of their houses. So materials of that, that nature. Now, talking of health implications, what are the main health and environmental impacts associated with open burning? Well, in the course of the work, I got to know I, there were some revelations about the number of people who are um, getting sick because they live close to areas that, are, um, that burning goes on um, almost every day. So one of the areas I focused my attention was around North, um, the Akuman area, where there are e-waste 
activities going on and also plastic collection activities also go on there. So um per what I gathered, some some plastics are are not um are not uh, are not readily recyc recyclable. So when pickers or these guys go for it, instead of um maybe sending it to the dumping site or giving it to the waste people, they burn it. Because if they send it to this uh, plastic buyers or recyclers, they will not be able to make good use of it. Um, also, the issue of um, extracting valuable um, metals from electronic waste materials like TV, like fridges and other things. So they resort to open burning in order to get or retrieve these materials. Did you come across any innovative or successful approaches that have been implemented to address the issue of open burning? Yeah, so as I mentioned, some types of plastics are bought. Um, they are used for, you know, roofing sheets. They are used as roofing sheets, um, pavement blocks. Um, some of them, too, are processed into flakes and are sold onwards to some other other users, they use it for some other purposes. But there's some particular types of plastics that are not um are not valuable. So they, they have no use, sort of. But in the whole, there are plastics, for instance, have have use. And there are some good technologies that people are innovations that are being used to to recycle instead of the linear economy where things are used and dump and then it, it, it doesn't get a second life. Wonderful, Albert. Thank you so much for that insightful reporting. Welcome. Now, who would think that enjoying smoked fish, a Ghanaian staple we all love, could threaten the lives of the very women who make them for us? Raisa Sambu, reporting for the Ghanaian Times, visited a fishing community at Mori in the central region and shared some stories of fishmongers who are being sickened as they prepare the food we eat. Raisa, what prompted you to explore the topic of pollution specifically relating to fish smoking? Well, I developed interest in um, going to Mori for that particular story because I realized the women were very ignorant about the dangers of what they were doing. You know, most of them grew, grew up watching their grandparents and their aunties and mothers smoking fish as a means of livelihood. However, they do not know that long-term exposure to smoke would be very, very detrimental to their health. In your research, what were the main pollutants or harmful substances that you identified in the process of fish smoking? Dr. Enchibosiako Amoa, he works with the EPA and is also at the University of Ghana. He's a lecturer there. He conducted a research. It was a collaboration between himself and the University of Michigan. So the research findings revealed that the smoke contained some substances called particulate matter and carbon monoxide. And per the research, when you are exposed to these pollutants, you could, it could put you at the risk of getting lung cancers, 
eye irritations, chest pains, strokes, and other heart diseases. And interestingly, when I visited Mori, I realized some of these women were already exhibiting the symptoms of these diseases. Okay, Raisa, can you help me with personal narratives of some of the fishmongers who have been affected by air pollution? Yes. The, the one that touched me most was the story of a woman called Christiana Ntiamwa. Her son, called Kojo, narrated her ordeal to me like she's late now. Um, according to Kojo, the mother had been in the fish smoking business for more than a decade now. And suddenly, about some few years ago, she started complaining of chest pains, difficulty breathing, and it was on and off. But last year, it became serious. They visited the health center in Mori, and then after a series of investigations, the medical doctor at the health facility diagnosed the mother of lung cancer. So because they were not having an oncology department at the Mori Health Center, they were referred to the Kolebu Teaching Hospital. And when they got there, the oncologist told them they had to take some cycles of chemotherapy and all that. So according to him, they started the chemotherapy. The effects were adverse, like, and the treatment too was very, very expensive. They couldn't afford the treatment for their mother's lung cancer. Unfortunately, her condition got worse and then she died eventually. Apart from that, I also met some women who were also complaining about eye irritations, headache, and other symptoms that could be linked to their exposure to the smoke. What lessons did Kojo learn from his experience with his mother that has affected or changed the way he sees air pollution in the community? The main lesson he has learned is that it is wrong to attribute every chronic disease to superstition because some of them know relatives who passed on, like they exhibited, the, exhibited these symptoms, they had chronic chest pains, but they never went to the hospital. Some also went but they refused to believe the diagnosis of the doctors. So they were relating, relating it to all sort of superstition and all that. Some of them also ended up in prayer camps and all that. So Kojo's message to his aunties especially is that they should stop smoking the fish. They should find alternative means of livelihood. He knows it's almost impossible. However, he believes that if you waste your years exposing yourself to danger in the quest to make money and at the end of the day you die you are not able to even af afford the treatment for the, the disease that was possibly caused by the work you are doing it's totally not worth it so his advice is that people should stay as far away from smoke based on your research what personal recommendations do you have for individuals communities and the government to mitigate the pollution caused by fish smoking in the community? I think they should increase awareness about the dangers of these things and then they should enforce the laws too. But what do you think happens to the livelihood of those who are already engaged in fish smoking when they stop? What happens to their economic survival? This kind of business is like, it's traditional. It's been there for ages. So it's, it will be very difficult for them to stop. 
But if we continue to talk to them and make them understand that even if they cannot stop smoking, they should reduce the number of hours they spend there. Because the people in Mori, for instance, have refused to um, use the alternative stoves or ovens. Like they told me that some NGOs came to introduce them to safer modes of smoking the fishes. However, some of them said after trying those particular ovens, they realized it couldn't smoke the fishes very well and they couldn't even preserve the fishes for long. The fishes that they use those modern ovens to smoke, they are not able to preserve those fishes for longer period. So it's like they've rejected those ones and the people who brought the ovens to have given up. Thank you for your report, Sunrisa. That was really wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. And now to a story of resilience. We would hear the story of 63-year-old Israel Nkegbe, a once strong and commanding chief police officer who now struggles just to breathe. The air outside his house is filled with dangers, toxic air pollutants that could trigger an attack that takes his life. Here is a report by Wanda Hagen of Ghana Web. This has become the plight of Israel Nkegbe, once a robust chief inspector of police. The 63-year-old now struggles just to draw breath. He's one of a growing number of Ghanaians who struggle with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, a lung disease that kills 3 million people around the world each year. If I'm traveling in my own vehicle, for that one, I close the glass. But if I'm not traveling in passenger vehicle, you know the grass is always open. So when it, when it happens like that, sometimes I use hanky or tissue to cover my nose. But when I reach where there is no smoke again, then I remove it. Inkebe is among a growing number of Ghanaians being sickened by a silent killer. The very air we breathe is becoming more and more toxic, according to lead pulmonologist Dr. Samuel Asumeni. Apart from asthma, there's something we call chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. It's noted to also be other exacerbated and potentially also brought on by pollution. Richard Aquisia German sells bells here. He says he constantly struggles with poor health. We inhale the smoke that comes out from a lot of these vehicles, especially from the big buses. They produce a lot of smoke when there's heavy traffic on the stretch. The pollution is also obvious at Tema Station, one of Accra's most busy transport hubs where cars park and marketeers sell all sorts of goods. It's no surprise then that the local clinic here sees high rates of respiratory-related cases. Linda Yabuabuchi has been a nurse here for six years. In the week, let's say we had the patient, maybe 50 patients or then respiratory tries to take about 25 cases. Tema Station hairdresser Naomi Amprofi says it is frustrating to have no control over the air they breathe. We come here to work for our daily bread, but we end up going home with sicknesses. All the monies we earn are used for hospital bills. Air pollution in Ghana has had little attention before now. It causes at least 28,000 deaths a year, according to the Clean Air Fund and costs the country $2.5 billion a year. 
equivalent to 4% of the economy. A recent study found just treating the growing number of sick patients is a burden on Ghana's healthcare budget, says Head of Transport at the Accra Metropolitan Assembly, Alex Johnson. We estimated about $40 million annually uh, is spent on treatment costs. The government, led by the EPA, is working with a range of stakeholders on a plan to improve the quality of the air we breathe. They've developed standards that would force owners to fix vehicles to reduce emissions. For us to be able to implement the standard, we need the regulations. So we are working on the regulations and I'm sure very soon we'll complete with that and then We'll go into full enforcement. AMA Head of Transport Alex Johnson has one much more simple solution that could start immediately. Days, I think they are the most uh, or the lowest hanging fruits we can get, uh, especially in trying to adjust our uh, culture to making sure the environment is clean. Health experts say there are things people can do for themselves now. Wearing masks and covering mouths and noses with handkerchiefs will block the larger particles. People should avoid high traffic areas as much as they can. And they say people should start walking and riding bikes more. You can read Wanda Hagen's full article on the pollution caused by torture on Ghana Web. Search for the article titled, How Ghana's Most Popular Transport Means is Wreaking Havoc on Our Health. In our last interview in this edition, we have a man standing tall in the fight against air pollution in Ghana. He was the formal advisor to the mayor of Accra. Now, he is currently leading the Clean Air Fund project in Ghana. Welcome, Mr. Desmond Apia. Thank you very much. Desmond, in your opinion, what are the most pressing issues regarding air pollution that need to be addressed immediately? I think the most um, pressing and challenging issue is the lack of demand for clean air. Um, it appears that most of us either are not conversant with the fact that there's a lot of pollution in our air, uh, that most of our activities are also adding to the pollution, and that uh, these levels of pollution have dire consequences on our health. And because of that lack of information and knowledge on this, we are not really pushing um, the policymakers and regulators and other actors in the clean air space to act to safeguard both the environment and our health. How does air pollution vary across different regions and what are the factors that influence these variations? For instance, natural causes that affect the background pollution levels, um, like dust. A lot of our roads are unpaved. And um, um, areas that are closer, maybe to areas that, to regions that are having a lot of dust, um, have more background pollution levels. But there are also um, some practices that we undertake ourselves. For instance, the way we farm, the preparation of land, the burning of bushes, the nature of the vehicles that we are driving, and uh, some maintenance culture, the nature of the fuels that we use for preparing food and other anthropogenic um, causes 
the way we even manage waste is one of the big areas of concern because we we do burn a lot of waste. We also, on the coastal side, have salt from the sea. And so I'm trying to say there are natural causes which give a quite a, quite a high background. And then there are the anthropogenic aspects which we are adding to. And those are the areas that we need to really pay particular attention. Industries are also adding to the pollution mix in our air. There is very little to no talks on air pollution's impact on our economy. This morning, in your opinion, are there any impact on Ghana's economy? There are massive in the, uh, implications on our economy. The World Bank, for instance, has released a report, I think in 2020 or so, that air pollution-related cost to our economy is more than $2.5 billion a year. And that is billion with a B. In urban centers, we are aware that WHO has done quite a lot of work and is showing that we are losing about 28,000 people in Ghana each year. That was back in uh, 2019. Clean Air Fund has uh, released a couple of reports which are talking about the impact on the economy of some major cities in um, Africa, including Accra, the cost to the economy. And um, we also, in that report, highlighted that the, the, the estimation that we're making were even based on the formal economy. But we are aware that in Accra, our economy is largely informal. And so there are about 70 or so percent of our economy which is informal, which is difficult to capture information on. Are there any strategies or interventions that have been proven effective in reducing the health impact of air pollution on human lives? There are many. And um, one of the good things that when we talk about air pollution is that when you act to mitigate the source of the pollution, the, the impacts are rather immediate. If someone is burning bush and they put a stop to the burning, you can immediately see that there's no smoke. Or you can see that the smoke that someone was inhaling is not there. When there's a lot of pollution from a vehicle and the engine is switched off, or the maintenance is done, you can see straight away uh, the impact of uh, that source of the pollution. When people use wood and charcoal to cook and they change to a cleaner fuel, you can immediately feel the impact in the space. And on a, a bigger scale, we know China and um, quite a lot of cities in China have had a lot of great impact on the pollution levels in areas which were known as extremely polluted um, because of policy interventions. In the last couple of years, we've seen a drastic reduction. Now to my very last question, in your opinion, Desmond, what are the most urgent actions that need to be taken to protect human health from harmful effects of air pollution? I think in our context, the first and most crucial thing is to implement the laws that we have on the books, which are highlighting emission standards, not burning of waste, implement some of the policies like clean energy, access to clean energy, which government already has on its books. I'm talking about the things we already have on the books before we begin to dream about the other aspects that we need to do. We need to get our policymakers and our political figures to understand that there is a cost to our health and to the environment and to the economy for the pollution levels which are going up. And so we need to be able to be implementing those actions. We need to also be able to be thinking forward. 
There are vehicle assembling plants which are springing up all over the place. In other jurisdictions, they are planning to cut out the production of combustion engines by 2030. And yet we are bringing these operations into our system. So it's like taking the pollution from one end and bringing it to another jurisdiction. Great contribution, Desmond. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. As we come to the end of this episode, I hope our discussion has left an indelible mark on your heart and mind. Join us next time as we explore challenges and solutions to air pollution and meet the people making our planet cleaner and healthier for all of us. The program is a collaboration between new narratives and reporters from leading newsrooms across the country. Funding was provided by the Clean Air Fund. If you have a story suggestion or want to let us know what you think of the program, Text us at WhatsApp number 053-417-7313. You can also follow our work at New Narratives on X and Facebook and at our website, www.newnarratives.org. The music in this episode is by Kobe Spikey Nkrumah. I am Winifred Latte. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 